Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, band. <clears throat> Anyone ever make you want to puke? Anyone ever make you want to puke? I'm the father of two children. I have a son who's 26. My daughter's 30. <laughs> I, I probably just made my daughter want to puke. Honey, I know that you're 29. I'm just messing with you. My kids, uh, my kids have made me want to puke. Literally, I think it was the peas that we fed them. I think it was the peas that we fed them. And I was the kind of father that if we had a clean up on aisle two, man, I jumped right in there. I did that. But sometimes... Oh my gosh, they made me want to puke. And actually, if I'm honest with you, there have been other seasons that I've experienced as a parent where I wanted to puke too. If you're a parent, maybe you can relate to that. And it wasn't because of some nasty mess that my kid created that I had to clean up. Sometimes it was just from watching them kind of navigate life. You know, as a parent, you try the best that you can to guide them, to teach your kids to lean into things, to invest in things that will put them in this position to do life well. It's what you want most for them. You want them to experience a full life. You want them to learn how to become a meaningful part of society, a meaningful part of the people around them. And there's been some seasons where they just didn't give that much of a, of a rip about those things, about, about leaning into those things that will put them in a position to live life that way. Have you ever experienced that as a parent? If you haven't, I promise that you will. And you watch this attitude of apathy, this attitude of indifference that persists in their life for a season, and it makes you want to puke. Doesn't it make you want to puke? I want to look at a passage of Scripture today with you in which Jesus is so frustrated, he's so angry with this group of believers that he wants to puke. And I have to confess to you, I have had major anxiety this morning, about this morning, more intense than I've ever experienced leading up to a Sunday morning. And I figure that it's one of two things. Either God really doesn't want me to share this with you today, and he's been trying desperately to get my attention, or Satan doesn't want me to share this with you today, and he's done everything that he could to crush me. And, but I'm going to give it a go, and you may witness a train wreck this morning. But hey, who doesn't like watching a good train very funny. Some background about this passage we're going to look at. It's the seventh, it's the seventh and the last letter in this string of letters in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, where Jesus is speaking directly into the condition of the heart of seven different churches. And in his letter to the first six churches, Jesus starts everyone, every one of them out He's by commending them. By giving these six churches, he gives them these attaboys. And then even in the churches of those first six that he calls out for correction, there's four of them in the first six that he calls out for correction, he kind of greases the skid first. He says, hey, man, well done in this, well done in this. He says, but I have this complaint against you. And he kind of puts out this warning before he actually shares it. Well, the message to the seventh church, the church in Laodicea, there's no commendation to them. There is no attaboy or well done for them, and there's no greasing of the skid before the correction comes. Rather, it's just this straight up, out of the chute, sucker punch to the gut. Kind of like the one I took from Nancy Hahn in second grade. I'll tell you that story someday, maybe. But man, as I read this seventh letter, and as I reread it, I think we're supposed to hear it today, but it may feel like a sucker punch. It may feel like a sucker punch to some of you. And I think that was part of my anxiety, that some of you may not like 
what you're going to hear and that you would be mad at me. Rick, our senior pastor, he's so gifted at being able to be the conduit through which the Holy Spirit paddles our spiritual backside where we'll say, thank you, sir, may I have another? And I don't have that gift. I, I don't have that gift. And tragically, I tend to place way too much value on what you think about me. But be that as it may, we're going to go ahead and we're going to take a run at it. So Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. We're going to start in verse 14. You'll find it on page 951 if you took a Bible from the back of the room. It says this. It says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen. That's Jesus. This is the message from Jesus, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. So this is going out, this message is going out to the church in Laodicea. And here's the scoop on the city in Laodicea. It was located in what's now Turkey today. It was a well-to-do city. It was likely the wealthiest of these seven cities, these seven churches that Jesus speaks to. Laodicea is probably the wealthiest one. It was a city that was known for a thriving bank, banking industry and a textile industry, and it had a medical center and a school and these medical project, products they developed that were best in class, that were highly sought after. The bottom line is there is material abundance in Laodicea, material abundance. And so generally, for those that were a part of the Laodicean church, they shared in that material abundance. And that's not a bad thing in and of itself, except we see it play into the problem that Jesus has this intense reaction to. And that was the first thing that pinged me about this letter as I read it, that from that perspective, from a material abundance perspective, I sense that could so easily be us. That could so easily be our city, our community, and therefore our church. So now Jesus, he gets right to it in verses 15 and 16. He says, I know all the things that you do. Man, check it out. He's the one that stands above time. Supernaturally, he looks down. He knows, he sees and knows everything about what's going on in that church. Not just collectively, but individually. He sees everything that's going on in, the, with, in those people. And not only that, Scripture says, not only does he kind of see them, but he sees into, the very, into their very hearts. He knows exactly what's going on inside of them. And that should have gotten their attention right away. Frankly, it should get our attention to how, how different would life be for you and I if we constantly had that in our mind, that freshness about the fact that he sees everything that's going on, everything we do, but everything that's going on inside of us too. That should have caught their attention. So he says, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Wow, pretty graphic. I went all Greek on the word spit in there that was used. And a more literal translation of the word spit in the Greek actually is to vomit. Jesus is telling these people, you make me want to puke. You make me want to puke. Bam, this sucker punch right to the gut. Where is that gracious style of correction that Jesus used on those other churches in Revelation 2 and 3? It's not happening here. Jesus cuts right through the mustard. He uses this analogy about water so that there would be no way that they could misinterpret exactly how he feels about them. You see, in addition to material abundance, here's what is also true about Laodicea. 
they had a serious problem with their water supply. They had a serious problem with their water supply. In fact, the city had no water supply. They had no direct access to the hot underground springs or to the cold mountain water that fed the cities that were around them. And so they had to import their water. And it came in through these long pipes and through these aqueducts. And by the time it got to the city, it became lukewarm in temperature and it had picked up all the sediment and all these minerals along the way. In short... It was disgusting and useless and rank compared to the water from the underground hot springs, which was useful for bathing and for soothing physical ailments. And in contrast to the cold water of the mountains, which was refreshing for drinking and for cooling down, it was rank, it was disgusting. And the believers in Laodicea, they would understand this reality. In fact, they complained often about their water themselves. And so when Jesus compares them to the the lukewarm water of the city, they would well understand that he's calling them disgusting and useless and rank. He had a beef with them. And here's the beef. Jesus says, you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. And here's what he's not saying. He is not saying, I wish you burned with hot passion for me, or I wish you were ice cold towards me. He's not saying, he's not saying that. That's totally out of context. Here's what the context simply is. He desires the church to be useful to him. As the hot water was for bathing and for soothing physical ailments. He wants the church to be refreshing to him as the cold water was for drinking and for cooling down. And this church, they were neither. They were neither. Rather, they were so distasteful to Jesus that they made him want to puke. And then he goes on speaking to them. He says in verse 17, you say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. But Jesus says, you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. These people of the Laodicean church, they were rich. By any standard, they were rich. That was true. But they felt so self-satisfied, so self-sufficient, that because of that, they became self-absorbed and they became complacent. They didn't have the presence of Jesus around them, and yet in their self-sufficiency and their self-absorption, they didn't even realize that he wasn't there. They didn't even realize how destitute they were without him. They had everything they needed, access to all of the worldly pleasures that life had to offer. Thank you very much. And out of that, they were indifferent towards Jesus. They just made Jesus this other option when it worked for them. That was a huge problem. It was a huge problem. What did this church do to elicit such a graphic, spontaneous response from Jesus? Verse 19 says it was just their indifference towards him. It warranted this sucker punch to the gut. They were infected with spiritual apathy. They were infected with spiritual apathy. He just became meh to them. You guys know meh, right? He just, that's indifference. Apathy is just meh. It's this lack of feeling or emotion towards somebody or something. It's this lack of authentic interest and concern. It is not disagreement. It is not disdain. It is not anger. It's not disappointment or frustration. There's feeling in that. There's interest in that. That is not apathy. 
Apathy, rather, it's this total lack of passion one way or the other. It's, it's this take it or leave it attitude. This, oh, I'll do it, mm, I'll don't. It's this, it's this whatever kind of attitude. That's apathy. Jesus had become this take it or leave it for them. Let me see if I can show you how apathy works. You see? See, there's three responses in this room to this jersey. Two of them have great passion. Two of them have great passion. There's excitement about this jersey, or there's about this jersey. But there's a third, there's a third reaction to this jersey. Probably most of the people in the room have it. It's kind of like, whatever. Yeah, you know, it's, it's just no big deal. And here's the deal. When apathy is wrapped around things that don't really matter, well, then it doesn't really matter. I mean, honestly, if we're honest with each other, which, which football team that we root for in the grand scheme of life doesn't really matter. And Jesus could care less whether we have apathy towards those things that don't really matter. But there's some things that we become apathetic towards that really matter. They really matter, like relationships, especially relationships, relationship with him, like health, like work, like education, like other people's needs. These things matter. These things matter. And when we're apathetic towards them, three things happen. There's three things you can count on when we have apathy towards something that really matters. And none of them are good. Here's the first one. We lose something of value that we had. When we're apathetic towards something uh, that matters is that we lose something of value that we had. Apathy smells like broken marriages. Man, there were marriages that were vibrant. And then apathy creeped into the marriage relationship. And there was something that, that was of value that got lost. There's, there's apathy in health, in health stuff where we become just apathetic about taking care of ourselves and we lose our good health. Something of value gets lost. There's, there's college students that have, that have gotten scholarships and they become apathetic to their education and, they, and their scholarship is lost. That's what happens when we're apathetic about things that matter. Is Often we lose something of value that we had. But the second thing that happens is that we don't gain something of value that we would have otherwise had if we had passion to it. So apathy, it brings a loss of potential. Maybe there's a, apathy in, in a high school student towards their education. Maybe they have this great desire to go to a school. But the school is somewhat above and beyond the means of their family's ability to send them there. Oh, but there's scholarships. But you know what? They're really apathetic to their education in high school. And they lose the potential maybe to get a scholarship that they otherwise would have had if they, if they were passionate about their education and their work. Do you, you, you understand what I'm saying? Apathy in the workplace, it breeds out maybe on missing a promotion or missing a, range, a, a raise. You get the picture here. We don't gain something of value when we have apathetic attitudes towards things that really matter. And then the third thing, and maybe this is the most tragic thing, that when we're apathetic towards someone or something that really matters, at best, we fail to inspire people towards it. At best, we fail to inspire people towards it. And at worst, we drive people away from something that is very, very good. 
because we paint this picture in our life that this someone or this something is really irrelevant. It's really not worth their time. I mean, hey, it's not, if it's not worth my time, it's not worth your time. Believe it or not, your attitudes are attitudes. They rub off on, on people. And that's the attitude that was pervasive in the Laodicean church. There was this apathetic attitude. And the bottom line is apathy kills. Apathy kills. And that's what sets Jesus off about this church in Laodicea. Because their apathy had killed their love for God. And by extension, their apathy had killed their love for other people. And those two things, those are the distinguishing marks of the church. And it broke Jesus' heart. In fact, it was intolerable to him. And so he sucker punches them to get their attention because it mattered greatly to him that they would repent, that they would turn back to him. And so it's no surprise to me why this spiritual condition of the heart made it as one of Jesus' messages to those seven churches. It's, it's no surprise that there wasn't an attaboy, there wasn't a commendation, there wasn't any greasing of the skid, just straight up shot to the gut because they had to get the message. They couldn't miss the point here. There was so much that was hanging in the balance for them and for those that were around them. And it's no surprise that the truth is there is so much at stake there is so much that's hanging in the balance for us, that's hanging in the, balance, in the balance for the people that are around us. And man, I struggled with this because I couldn't get my head around how I was supposed to say this today, how was I was supposed to ask this question because I love my church so much. I, I just stood up here. I just listened to you sing with passion, and I don't want to be a Debbie Downer to so many of you that demonstrate this passionate love for Jesus and this passionate love for other people. But are we a church with pervasive spiritual apathy in it? Are we a church with pervasive spiritual apathy in it? And don't be, don't be tempted to compare us to some other church that maybe you had an experience with down in the past. My mother used to always say, I don't care what the kid down the street's doing. I only care about what you're doing. Just worry about yourself. So, hey, Jesus sets the benchmark Jesus sets the benchmark for what it's supposed to look like for the church, collectively and individually, to love God and to love others, not what's going on down the street. And Jesus says this, I need to be your first love. I need to be your first. He doesn't just set the benchmark. Jesus is the benchmark. He wasn't the first love for the Laodicean church. And it was because of their indifference towards him that they had lost that. So is there spiritual apathy in our church? Man, it matters so greatly because there are people in this room today that need to know whether Jesus is worth their time and effort. And there are people in your families and in your workplaces and at the ball field and in your classrooms that need to know whether Jesus is worth the effort. And they will either be inspired by or they will be driven away by the passion or the lack thereof that we really have for him. Friends, the, the local church is the hope of the world and the church's influence on the world. People, it's dying. Apathy kills. Apathy kills. And I believe God wants for us to hear this today. And I think that the battle that I was experiencing in the last few days was Satan deeply not wanting for this church to wrestle with this question. Because the truth is, as spiritual apathy is rooted out of the church, 
person by person. And I don't mean rooting the person out of the church. I simply mean rooting the apathy towards Jesus that exists in their heart, rooting that out of their hearts and replacing that with this passionate love for God and this passionate love for people. When that happens, even in one person, oh my gosh, the impact to the kingdom is huge. There's a man in this church two years ago. His name's Jeff Stewart. He'll be really mad I said this. Two years ago, he fell deeply in love with Jesus. He began, Jesus became his first love. And out of, ex, out of the extension of that, other, he began to love other people with passion. And now Jeff, this one guy, not only does he serve passionately and vibrantly through the ministry of his local church, but he fell in love with this ministry up in Houston called Thousand Hills. That's a ministry to, to homeless people. And, G, and Jeff just started to go, just him. And now after two years of that, we have an army of FCC people and non-FCC people that have intersected with his life and his community that have felt, fallen in love with Jesus and, with, and have this passion for these people up there. And they go, oh man, what would happen if we had one more Jeff Stewart? If one more person's spiritual apathy got rooted out of their heart and it was replaced with this great passion and love for Jesus, what would that mean for the community, for the church? And what if we, as a church, were able to root that out even more? We have been praying with fervency as leadership here for more workers, for more resources, because we look out on our community and we see so much brokenness we see so much lost hope that we want to lean into and we don't have the people and we don't have the resources to be able to do it. Is it possible that all of that is in our ranks right now? That God has already provided the people, has already provided the dollars, but apathy so far has killed the contribution to the kingdom cause. Is that, is that possible? And so I have to ask the question, are we a church with pervasive spiritual apathy? Do all of you love Jesus with great passion where he is your first love? And where out of extension, you have this deep love for other people. Where you and where we together inspire people towards Jesus. Are we leaving anything on the table as a church, individually and collectively, that God might leverage? Man, you guys are going to hate me for this. So a month ago, maybe six weeks ago, we began to send a plea out to the church because we had this great need for workers in our children's ministry. We had, so so we, first we sent this targeted email to the parents of those that have children in our children's ministry. And then we sent actually emails to the church at large. You probably got one yesterday or Friday from Rick that said, oh, hey, children's ministry. And, and we've, talk, we've made stage announcements about this need for workers in children's ministry. And last week, that need was the subject. It was a part of Rick's talk about wheelhouse and serving. And we had a ministry fair. Can I ask you guys to stand up? Just, just stand up here in this row. You guys right here. Active participation. Now, I want you, in your mind's eye, I want you to imagine that this entire row is full of people for a second, okay? Imagine the entire row is full of people. With all that, we love children deeply. We want to serve them deeply for Jesus because they, they matter to him. And through all of that, four to six weeks, we had about, if you imagine this whole row was full, we had about 12 or 15 people that expressed interest. We've only had a couple that have actually signed up. 
Now, now, with that image in your mind, I want you to think about all of the people. This room holds about 700 people. So I want you to think about all the people in the room. And then I want you to multiply it by three. Because plus or minus, we have about 2,200 people that would do worship in here on a Sunday morning that, that would say FCC is their church home. So, so you have to take this, and you have to look at it in the context of two more of these rooms full of people that are just sitting down. Man, apathy, it kills. Can you guys just stay standing for a second? Can, can you stand up? Can you guys stand up here? Just, we have been, since the spring, we have been inviting our church to lean into this need that the food pantries in our community have. Can you believe this? There are people in our communities that can't put food on the table unless they, they get it from a food pantry. And so we have been inviting our church to bring a can with them on Sundays because it matters greatly to Jesus that people eat. And if you can imagine that these rows are full, okay, I need you to kind of, in your mind, see these, these three rows that they're full of people. We have about 40 people on any given Sunday that will bring a can or some cans to the food pantry. And, and so if you take that and you look at that and then you say, you look around the room and you see the people that are seated. Oh, but you add two more rooms of people seated. Apathy Apathy kills. Apathy kills. Can you guys stay standing for a second? Any given month. Any given month, we have about 350 giving households at FCC. Any given month. And, and so let's just make an assumption, best case, they're, they're married. So that's about 700 people. So there's about 700 seats in here. Everybody stand up for a second. Just humor me. Everybody stand up for a second. Wow. That, well, actually, I'm not married. That's $6.99. You sit down, Jay. Sit. <laughs> Okay, oh, hey, this is, wow, this feels so much better. But, but wait for a second, just remember that there's two more rooms that are this side, and they're all sitting down. And, and just as a side note, there, we just got a survey. There was a survey done in America. You guys can sit down. There's a survey in America of church members. And you know what? The average giver gives about two and, a, two and a half percent of their disposable income to God's kingdom cause, about two and a half, far short of the 10% that God says, start with that, start with that. Apathy kills, apathy, it, it, it kills. I know this isn't perfect science. I know, I know that there's some dynamics that may shape those numbers, but I just, I'm trying to paint this mental picture in your mind. Do you see the mental picture that I'm trying to paint? Such that it would allow you to simply take a shot at answering this question about our church, but more importantly, this question about your life. Is there spiritual apathy that's pervasive in this church? in our church. Could it be you? Do you have a general lack of excitement and zeal? The Bible talks about having zeal for the Lord. Do you have a general lack of excitement and zeal towards Jesus? You come late, you leave early if you can sneak out. If you come at all, I mean, there's 2,200 people that would actually say FCC is their church home, that would experience it within this room. Is there no time spent learning and communicating with God through his word? He gave us his word to experience him. Is there, is there not much or none of that on your own efforts beyond what you might hear from someone up here or in women's ministry or at Merge? 
Is your prayer life non-existent? Or is it just me focused like, oh, Lord, I'm going to H-E-B after I leave here, and please fill that bin up with plump jalapenos because I want to stuff some today. Like, are your prayers just really focused on what you need? Have you just not gotten around to consistently serve someplace in his kingdom? Do you not hang out in vibrant biblical community outside of this room? Follow your money, man. Follow your money. Or if you're just sitting there and just thinking, what a blah, 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 blah. Maybe, maybe you are infected with spiritual apathy. Maybe you don't even need this checklist of things to really know how you feel towards Jesus. Here's the bottom line. He has become, meh, to so many in the room and so many that are not here, that consider themselves part of his local church. And Jesus says, you make him want to puke. He says, you make him want to puke. There is so much potential. There is so much hope locked up in this room. And, and maybe for some, maybe, maybe you got a sucker punch from the Holy Spirit today. Maybe this morning you've realized, yeah, maybe I am spiritually apathetic, that I've become useless and disgusting and rank compared to those that have passionate love for Jesus and passionate love for other people. And maybe that's what you needed to hear to begin to take some action. Man, if you felt the Holy Spirit paddle your spiritual backside and convict you today, will you respond to that? Will you respond? Jesus says in verse 19, he says, I correct and discipline everyone that I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. The word turn there, it means to repent. So that means to change direction. So if you have been spiritually apathetic or indifferent towards Jesus and you're going this way, Jesus is inviting you to just turn back around and just turn back towards him. Would you simply just repent? It's not too late. It's never too late that in this verse 16 where Jesus says, I will spit you out of my mouth. I went Greek on the word will too. And here's the great news. The tense of that is such that he intends to. He's about to. It hasn't happened yet. He hasn't spit you out of his mouth yet. That's great news. He intends to do that to those that remain spiritually apathetic, but he hasn't, and that's great news. And here's more good news. After Jesus tosses this grenade, he says in verse 19, right? He says, hey, just turn around. Hey, I've just, I've just slugged you in the, in, the, in the stomach, but I love you. Just just turn around. He's giving us this opportunity to have this. Here's the solution to spiritual apathy. It's a spirit of repentance. It's just having this desire to change direction. That's the solution. That's how you break out of spiritual apathy. And friends, here's the best news of all. It's in verse 20. Jesus says to these people that he's just sucker punched to get their attention. He says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. He says, I stand at the door and knock. It's not one of these little hoping that you don't show up and he disappears. He's standing at the door. He's pounding on the door of your heart. In fact, he's always been there. But not just that. He says, if you hear my voice, Jesus is calling out your name. Individually, he's calling out your name. He's standing at the door of your heart and he's waiting with excitement. He's waiting with eagerness that you might open the door. 
And you have this opportunity right now or in a moment when I pray to invite Jesus into your heart. To fling the door, he's standing there, his nose is pressed against the door, he's calling out your name. In a moment, you're going to have the opportunity simply to open the door up. Some of you may do that for the first time today. Maybe you've heard this great news about how Jesus has come and all of the stuff that you've messed up in your life that frankly you have no capacity to make payment on in order to restore yourself to the good grace of God. Jesus says, man, open the door. I will cash you out. I will cash you out. That's what he's saying to some of you today that have never made that step. He's saying, lose your apathy towards me. I matter greatly. I have something of great value to bring you. And you may gain heaven today. You may gain heaven today. And some of you are in the room and you've known Jesus and you've had a relationship with Jesus. But the abundance and all of the options and everything, they've just, they've gotten stuck in your life such that Jesus has just become meh to you. And you have the opportunity today as he's knocking on your door to restore that relationship. He's standing at the door to your heart right now, calling your name. Are you his first love? Will you make him his first love? Because you are his. You are his first love. If you're one today that felt conviction from the Holy Spirit, uh, Holy Spirit about the presence of spiritual apathy in your life, and I hope that you just would be brutally honest, just between you and God, is that, could that possibly me, be me? I want to invite you to do a couple of things. First, I want you to repent. I mean, that's the, that's the key that unlocks the door to getting out of this, is simply repentance. It's just put your foot, foot down. Sometimes it's simply a, a decision of the will. I'm just going to change direction. I'm just going to start walking back towards Jesus and trust that he'll do the things that he needs to do to allow this to take hold in my life. Reinvent your passion for him. Listen to the messages that Rick preached the last two weeks on recapturing or having Jesus be your first love. They're on our website. Audio, video, go there. Second thing, if you have made a decision to give Jesus your heart this morning for the very first time, then after the message, I want to invite you to come up to our prayer team up here in the corner. They have information for you. They have things for you that will help you in the days ahead. And so I want to encourage you, if that's you today, to come up and to talk to them and to allow them to pray you, pray for you as you start this new journey of, of building passion and love for Jesus. Do one or both of these things. Get away from people that are spiritually apathetic that are around you. Get away from them. If you're in a state of spiritual apathy right now, you don't need to be the one that's saying, I'm going to win them for Jesus because you rub off on them. Your apathy rubs off on them. Give yourself the opportunity to recapture that passion and that love for him and then go out into the world and show people that he's worth it, that he's worth it. And also, if you're not a part of vibrant biblical community outside of this room or merge or things that happen on this campus, man, get involved in a biblical community. Reach out to Robert Copeland, our small group pastor, and have him help you plug in. I want to invite you, here's the fourth thing, I want to invite you to reach out to a pastor, reach out to a key leader here at FCC. Proactively meet with them. Say, man, I've had this change of heart towards Jesus, and I need some help. Can you help me gain some encouragement and guidance and direction on, on, on things that I can do to light the fire in my soul for Jesus? Get with someone. And then finally, the last thing, email me. If you felt 
If you felt the Holy Spirit take the spiritual paddle to your behind today, then email me. All you have to do, you don't have to do anything other than say, hey, I I got the paddle. Because I want to pray for you specifically. I want to pray for you by name. If that was you today, just drop me an email. My email's on the back of the program. Say, hey, (laughs) Al, and, and I'll know exactly what that means. And I want to pray for you by name. I want to encourage you that way. Friends, apathy kills Will you come alive in Jesus? Father in heaven, man, I thank you so much that you are the kind of God that will give us a sucker punch to the gut when we need to have it. Because you love us so much, you refuse to allow us to remain in this state of apathy towards you and towards the things that really matter. Father, for those that maybe made a decision today for the very first time, I thank you so much for them. And I pray, Father, that in the minutes and hours and days that are to come, that you would just simply encourage them and fuel them in this decision that they made. And Lord, for those that may have been in here that have had a relation, that have a relationship with you, but maybe that relationship has drifted into indifference in the past, I pray, Father, that, um, that they would respond to your call to repentance. I pray for that. Father, oh man, what we could do as a church, what we could do as a church if we were a church that had rooted out all of the spiritual apathy in it, oh, it takes my breath away. Father, would you move and work in that way in us? I pray this with great hope and expectation. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Unlike some of you guys, I get the privilege of, of watching Dana sometimes through the week, and this week I got to see him struggle through preparing for this message, um, and I know it's not easy, but um, I, I love when I know he's struggling, and I'm not a sadist, but I, I love it when I know he's struggling because I know God has something special to say, and I believe that he had something very special that he said through Dana this morning, and, and uh, Proverbs 27.6 is what we got to experience this morning, which is where scripture says that, that you can trust someone who loves you enough to tell you the truth, even though it hurts, and that's what we got to experience this morning, so Dana, I wanted to say thanks to you for having that courage. Right now, I want to invite our ushers, if you guys will go ahead and come on up, and we're going to take our offering, and if you're a guest here with us this morning, as we say every Sunday, we just want to um, encourage you to let the basket pass by and let this morning be our gift to you, our our members and regular attenders give, um, just to support the the ministry here. But if you feel like you have to put something in the basket, there's a tear-off in the back of your program. Uh, Go ahead and fill that out. We would love to know more about you, to reach out, to help you get plugged in, or even if there's something we could pray for you about, fill that out and drop it in the basket. And if the basket gets by you before you have time to, to put that together, you can drop it at one of the kiosks on the way out. So we have a couple things that I want to let you know that are coming up. One is actually happening in about 15 minutes. And it, there's a ministry that we participate and team partner with. It's called Club One. It's an after-school program with some local schools here in town. And they have a truckload of students who show up um, and participate in Club One. They've had a number of kids come to know Jesus through this ministry over the past couple years. But if you want to find out a little bit more about Club One, you can meet with them in the Harbor Room. They're meeting right after this 
service. The harbor room, if you go out these doors, hook a left, it'll force you to take another left. All the way down, it's the last room on your right. It'll be a big room. You'll see um, Carrie Stewart and her team in there. And so if God might be leading you in that way, um, it's worth going down and just checking it out and seeing if there might be a fit and if that might be where God's leading you to be. Second announcement this morning, and these are also in your program if you need to find somebody to contact, is uh, that we will have a ladies' night out. Girls' night out is going to be August 30th. It's a Sunday. It's two Sundays from now. It's from 6.30 to 8.30, and it's going to be a night where all the ladies of FCC and and visitors and things like that will come in, and you guys are going to be playing bunco. I don't know. I heard somebody go, yes. I I don't know what it is about Bunko that people love, but the ladies love it. And it's a great opportunity to get together for fellowship, to get to know um, other ladies in the church. Uh, They have it set up to where you actually will rotate around and get to meet a lot of ladies. So it's a really cool opportunity to get to know people, to become known, uh, and just to build some relationships. And so it's no cost. It's free. We ask that you sign up on the website. There's the Women's Ministry tab. If you just click that, you can sign up before or on August 27th. Let us know you're going to be here so we have enough space set up for everybody. But it's a free event, and so it's a great opportunity as well to invite friends and neighbors. Uh, So do that. Show up. Have fun. It's going to be a great night. Men, pony up and watch the kids on Sunday night. They're your kids too. And allow your wives to to be here with us, or with the ladies, not with me. Um, And third thing I wanted to share with you, something that I'm very excited about. It's a series um, that we're going to be digging into on Sunday mornings here this semester. It's called House of Lies, and we're going to start that next Sunday. Trust me, you do not want to miss this series. It's going to be powerful, it's going to be very real, and it's going to be very current. A lot of the things that you're seeing going on in culture right now, we're going to be speaking to um, and sharing sharing with you what scripture says about all these things that are going on. So be here, make a point to be here. It's a great opportunity as well to invite friends to come and just to help them recognize how relevant Jesus really is. He's not just a story. He's alive and well. Thank the Lord. So let's pray. You guys will be dismissed. Father, thank you um, just for my brother's courage this morning to get up and allow you to speak tough stuff through him into our lives. Lord, I pray that that we would walk out and that each of us individually would ask and just, and just give you time to reflect into our lives the, just to show us where apathy is. Lord, if it's little spots or if it's big hunks of our lives, Lord, allow us the courage to look and to allow you to prod around and to, to show us where things are at that we need to change and that we need to allow you to work in. God, I pray that we wouldn't be just suckered into the ease of walking out of here this morning and ignoring what happened, and ignoring what you said. But Lord, give us that courage and that strength to dig in and to carry this truth with us and to allow it to change us um, as you work in, in our hearts and in our lives. God, we desire for you to work in us and also to work through us, and just pray that you would do so. Uh, Jesus, we love you, and we're so thankful for your truth and for your love. In your name, amen.
It's where I believe. 